What's up? It's Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Thanks for listening to the Under the Hood podcast presented by Coors Light. Stay inside and buy your Coors Light online. Find out how at get.coorslight.com. Coors Light, take time to chill. This is Under the Hood on ESPN 1000. Follow at TweetJHood on Twitter. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000. Chicago's home for sports. Glad you're with me here on this Wednesday night on ESPN 1000, the brand new ESPN Chicago app. Let's talk White Sox right here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. Josh Nelson covers the Chicago White Sox for SoxMachine.com. So we have our conversation. Check out the podcast, wherever you download your podcast. Look for Sox Machine. He joins me right here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. Josh, Jonathan Hood, thanks so much for your time. Oh, absolutely, Jonathan. How are you? I'm fine. What about you? What's going on with you and your family? <laughs> We've been chilling uh, with Jeff Passan, um, releasing his report about an hour ago, knowing that Major League Baseball is going to be submitting a proposal to get back to business to the Players Association. I figure we got one more month of this uh, for baseball fans to deal with. No baseball. And uh, I think I can survive another month. I can, too. Uh, and this leads into the question that we asked at the top of the show, and I'd like to get your thoughts on it, if I could. Um, I asked the question, will you go to a major sporting event? In this case, because it's spring, we're talking about Cubs or White Sox. Will you go to a major sporting event as soon as arenas or stadiums open after the shelter in place? No, I'll be nice. I'll let everyone else go first to test the waters and then report back weeks <laughs> after to let me know if the water is okay. Okay, <laughs> that's what I figured. Because, you, you know, you're a guy that does not mind watching the White Sox on TV or listening on the radio for a lot of right. it too, right? Yeah, I mean, I got a Peloton now, so I get to hop on the Peloton, bike a little bit while I'm watching the game. Uh, yeah, I can, I can still stay active, so I don't mind watching from home. I know a lot of people are eager, and they miss the ballpark, and I miss the ballpark too. But what, with this proposal that Major League Baseball is going to submit to the Players Association, I've got to think, Jonathan, we're not going to have any fans attend a baseball game with wh- however long this season is planned to be. And I'm really interested to see in how the NFL is going to handle this because we're supposed to be getting a schedule tomorrow, right? Right. And preseason games are in August, and that's only three months away. Are things going to get better across the country enough for 65, 70,000 fans to be sitting on top of each other to watch preseason football? Well, uh, there's, a, there's a lot of things that need to happen before, between now and then to make that happen. You know, it's interesting, Josh. We talked to Josh Nelson from SoxMachine.com with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. It's interesting because we were talking, I was talking to a listener um, in our 7 o'clock hour that was asking me, they said, well, you know, how does this work from the NFL standpoint? There are some states that are open and ready for business mm-hmm. uh, in Florida, Texas, Tennessee, some of these other um, other states that are open. But what about those that still are dealing with this pandemic and the numbers keep going up? I'll give an example. 
like if you're going to open up baseball and if you're going to allow some fans in or going to have some kind of social distancing in that, like Seattle's dealt with it in a major way. New York is bad. This, our city's bad. But in Seattle, that's one of the first ones that really had a hard time with it in the state of Washington. Yep. Where are they going to play? Boise, Montana? Like, where, where, where are they yep. going to play? Wyoming? Like, that, how does that work? Because there's still some states that are shut down. So I don't know how how it could be even across the board for all teams to open up and allow fans in. And I think that's one of the key questions, too, from Passants reporting, is that the Players Association is going to ask the league, what happens if one of us tests positive? Mm -hmm. And I'm really interested to see how the league answers that question, because I think that goes to try to answer the question that you're asking of where in the world are we playing these games? If we're trying to play these games in our home ballpark, then the geographical 10-team divisions that we have read about uh, first out of USA Today, uh, where like the Cubs and White Sox would be in the same division. And the idea is that everyone stays in this geographical area. But then you include like the Atlanta Braves, and Georgia is completely wide open. And as soon as they were wide open, here come the cases rolling in for them. Uh, so is Atlanta safe? And you're going to be flying to O'Hare. It's not like O'Hare has stopped operating. Uh, and O'Hare might be the reason why it's so bad in Chicago uh, with our cases. So it, it, to me, it's just really fascinating how the league is going to propose this. And maybe we, I'll wait to comment until the full report comes out. But I am skeptical that you're going to be able to play at every single stadium across Major League Baseball with or without fans. Because I think you're right, Jonathan. The mayor of Seattle and the governor of Washington may have a problem having the Mariners try to play at Safeco Field. Uh, J.B. Pritzker and Lori Lightfoot might have an issue with the White Sox and Cubs trying to play in Chicago if we're only in Phase 2 or Phase 3 of their five-phase plan of having life getting back to normal. It, there's just so many parts to this that still need to be worked out. And, again, if they're trying to have spring training, too, by June 10th, uh, a lot's going to have to change in five short weeks. Some thoughts from Scott Boris, who was on Get Up this morning. Scott Boris, as we read earlier from a New York Times, uh, he had an op-ed uh, saying that baseball needs to come back um, as soon as possible because it heals the country. Uh, I'm just paraphrasing <laughs> there, but, it, but nonetheless, it, it's the same idea. Scott Boris, longtime agent, uh, told Get Up hesitations he's heard from players. Listen. I think we have to set up models as we do in, in medicine, and that is you can certainly head to spring training. And I think players that I've certainly that I represent have all said they're willing to look at this for 30 days and be isolated and phase in spring training with, say, pitchers and catchers first. I think one of the things we have to consider, though, is that we need to do this. We need to have a little longer spring training because the players have been isolated. This is a very unique setting that they've been in for the last 50 days. And we need a little more conditioning time. We need more time to before we get to the skill part of the game than we have in the past. So it's a very different process. But I think one thing that's clear is that we have involved the people. They're going to have doctors there. They're going to have their trainers there. The isolation aspect, I think the players are willing to do to really take every precaution as we test before they go, test when they arrive, and really create an environment that we can, after a 30-day or so period, let everyone know that this group is healthy. 
Well, and I, it's it's still a mixed bag, Josh. We still don't know. It's still a mixed bag. Well, I mean, if Major League Baseball's got enough tests, that's great. But what about the general population in the United States of America? Uh, that's not going to be great for PR. I mean, that's one of my counters to Scott Boris. The other part for Scott Boris and why he needs the league to come back and start playing is that his clients are going to stop getting paid after May 30th uh, because that's the agreed upon on when teams are going to continue to pay their employees till is the end of May. And if there's no plan, then come June 1st, his clients are not getting paid. Employees of Major League Baseball, as far as the teams, probably not getting paid. Uh, some teams have agreed to extend it through June. Not every single team has. Uh, it really sounds like the Major League Baseball draft is only going to be five rounds. Why? Money. So the reason why we're getting this proposal and why these rumors are coming out now is because of money. And the, the league is hurting for money. The Players Association and the players themselves still want to get paid after this month. I do think there is going to be a plan that comes very quickly, Jonathan, together in which Major League Baseball resumes business sometime in mid-June. Is it right? Is it going to help the country heal from this situation? I don't know. But we cannot pretend this is nothing more about money. This is all about money, and it's all about teams getting paid for their TV deals, and it's all about the players making sure they get paid the money that they sign on the dotted line for when they sign their contracts with their teams. Yeah, you would think it's about the fans, but I think that we're really down on that list. It's about it is about the about money. It is also about butts and seats. You know, talking to some of these uh, sports um, ec- uh, economists, Josh, especially from an NBA standpoint, they I mean they are hemorrhaging money on a daily mm-hmm. basis because they really need the merch, they need the parking, they need the the ticket sales, even in in bad uh, markets. So it's it's one of these things where I think every day they're trying to figure out somehow their pretzel their pretzel logic trying to shoehorn in fans. How can we get this done? Where can we get this done? Just to try to get the revenue stream going again. It's just not feasible at this point in time. Right, and let's use the White Sox for example. The Chicago White Sox are a franchise that makes roughly about two hundred eighty million dollars. Mm-hmm. And if you look at their player payroll and their expenses, it's going to be about half of that. But if they're like fans, butts and seats, ticket gate, concessions, parking, merch, all that, the TV stuff makes up half of their revenue. TV is the largest piece of the pie. But if you don't have fans attend games, they're going to lose half of their revenue. So, yeah, there is a good chance that the Chicago White Sox are not going to make any money this year, in this season. They can't have fans in the, in the stadium. So, that's why I'm getting at, like, this is why baseball is really pushing to come back. And it is all because of money. And the White Sox financially are one of the stronger teams as far as making sure that they're not going to fade into oblivion. But there are other teams like Oakland and Miami yeah. that you really need to keep a keen eye on and how they're going to continue to stay in business or – do the, does the Steinbrenner family have to kick more money to them to, to keep those organizations floating along? So, yeah, the, if baseball does return, it is truly all about the money for all parties involved. Josh, I have not spoken to you since the passing of Ed Farmer. 
And I know you're yeah. someone who uh, that listened to that broadcast on the radio, so I didn't have to. But, uh, but no, no, actually, I'm just kidding. <laughs> wow. Oh, come on. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I just don't speak Evergreen Park. Uh, nonetheless, I just want to know just your memories uh, of, of Ed. We, we spent a lot of time talking about Ed and how, if nothing else, for sure, for Ed, is that that guy bled White Sox baseball. But the only thing is, you had to be close to him to know that and listen to those broadcasts yeah. every day to know that because – Hawk Harrelson took all of the, you know, the the oxygen out of the room, and he's beloved. But again, with Ed, Ed's from here. He's from 79th Street. And so he loved the Sox. And I don't think that enough people knew his love for the team enough. Yeah, those are really good points, Jonathan. I think what we're going to miss, whoever replaces him as the play-by-play guy in the radio booth this year, is some of the theatrics the excitement when a big play happens or a home run is hit at home, turn on the fireworks. We're, we're going to miss those catchphrases and we're going to miss the odd, but yet sometimes funny interactions between, <laughs> between him and DJ. Yeah. And, you know, Ed had a great wealth of baseball knowledge too. I mean, as a scout, even if it was new guys that were, making their introduction to the leagues and he was calling the game. He may not know anything about them. And it was pretty clear because he would admit on the air that he didn't know much about the pitcher that's making their debut. But while he's calling the game, he would turn on the scouting eye and he would give you feedback live during during the broadcast uh, to let you know what he thought. Like, does this guy have a serious chance of sticking in the major leagues? And I always found that to be a bit refreshing for radio broadcast because it's usually siloed play-by-play guys just do play-by-play and some broadcasts have analysts to to give you some type of color but that's kind of what i'm going to miss from ed from the broadcast is that additional insight from his days as an ex-player and scout and uh, his ability to go from zero to 60 on the excitement scale in just a matter of seconds but it'd be interesting to see what direction the white Sox go in replacing ed farmer because I think they surprised a lot of people when they went the direction of Jason Benetti to replace Hawk Harrelson. Yeah, I agree. Um, so, yeah, so it's it's interesting, uh, Ed's career. Ed, Keith Orman loved Ed Farmer. He was one of his he favorite did. broadcasters, which is crazy. Um, that, I mean, there's so many broadcasters that he could you know, listen to and enjoy, but he, he loved Ed because of his style. So unique, uh, but of someone who who's able to master the play-by-play and also color those great years with John Rooney in the booth as well. So, yeah, it, it, he, it's, there's definitely going to be something missing on the radio side when we get back to baseball. Yeah, definitely. And, again, it'll be interesting to see who takes over for Ed. They're probably going to be needed. Uh, yeah. I know most of the broadcasts are going to be on NBC Sports Chicago. But if people are going to be – Stuck at home, I'm sure radio ratings for White Sox play-by-play broadcasts uh, will go up because what else are people going to do? And if they don't have NBC Sports Chicago or they don't have cable because they're trying to cut money uh, at the moment, they're going to be listening to it on the radio. Uh, so it'll be really interesting to see what direction the White Sox have to go. And unfortunately for them, they do have to make a pretty quick decision, especially if baseball is trying to aim to come back on July 1st. Josh Nelson, SoxMachine.com. Go to the website right now. Josh has something special on the Top 100 Prospects. Patreon. Got to go to Patreon to get there, right? 
Yeah, for our Patreon supporters, you'll see that. But our first mock draft is going to come out on Sunday because the Major League Baseball draft seems to be on track to happen on June 10th. Ah, very good. So check that out again on SoxMachine.com. Josh, as always, I appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on the show. Absolutely, Jonathan. I hope you and your family stay safe and everyone stay inside for the most part just for a little bit longer. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely good with that as we talk to Josh Nelson from Sox Machine right here on Under the Hood. This is Under the Hood. Listen to me. Under the Hood podcasts are available now on the all-new ESPN Chicago app. Available on your device now. This is ESPN 1000. Chicago's home for sports. Glad you're with us here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. Don't forget, full show tomorrow, Thursday, between 7 and 10. It is NFL schedule release day. Uh, see, the NFL just keeps rolling. You know, we're trying to figure out when baseball comes back, when if basketball or hockey is coming back. But the NFL just keeps rolling. They're going to have their schedule release, and who knows if they'll start on time or if it's going to be maybe a month later or how this is all going to materialize. But they're going to tell you the schedule tomorrow. Uh, So we'll have that coverage for you tomorrow between 7 and 10 right here on ESPN 1000. Uh, We'll hear from Matt Bowen, by the way, in our next segment. Matt Bowen, uh, we got a chance to talk to him about just the Bears, their draft, and what our expectations are for the Bears. So Bears talk coming up at 930 right here on Under the Hood. Ken Rosenthal from TheAthletic.com wrote a piece entitled, Though one team has discussed a July 1st Major League Baseball return, no plan is close to firm. And so Rosenthal made sure that he hammered the point home that there is no plan uh, that can not be a plan until Major League Baseball gains a clearer perspective on which states are containing COVID-19 well enough for games to be played safely in their most stripped down form without fans. If you've been watching the KBO, first of all, God bless you. If you're watching that at five in the morning, that's uh, truly awesome on ESPN. But the point is, is that watching that that league there's there are no fans but the players are still playing uh and i think that that's probably what baseball will look like initially um as rosenthal writes assuming the league even reaches that point the plan will need to be adaptable because the coronavirus is unpredictable the season will look like no other season featuring just a shorter schedule um but also one subject for frequent change that's the thing it's one thing to re- to refer to the op-ed piece written by Scott Boris in the uh, New York Times earlier today, when he talks about how you know back in the day, you know the the in this darkest moments in our country, where you had President Roosevelt saying that hey we've got to be able to have baseball. He's writing a letter to Commissioner Kennesaw Mountain Landis saying that I honestly feel it'll be in the best interest for our country to keep baseball going. I mean that that was during that time, and of course, you know Boris also cites the September 11 attacks. Sixty years later, since that time, what Frank, Franklin uh, Roosevelt said we got to play baseball. Same thing with September 11th. Yeah, uh, ten days after the towers fell. Yeah, there's baseball again, but. In this pandemic, in which the numbers keep going up, and again, listen, I'm not here to convince you 
uh, what's going on with the coronavirus. I'm watching the news and reading things. Even though I'm not looking for it, the numbers are going across my screen. It's going across my tablet, going across my phone about what's going on in our country. Uh, but the point is, is that before I'm able to go to Guaranteed Rate, before I'm able to go to Miller Park or Wrigley Field or anywhere else, I need to make sure that I'm safe and make sure that you're safe as well. That's that's the whole bottom line of this. And, and reading Rosenthal's piece, it just makes sense. Why just um, herd mentality just rush everybody back in knowing that this is something that's still going on right now? Going back to my Facebook wall, Facebook.com, when I asked that same question about, you know, will you go to a major sporting event as soon as arenas uh, and stadiums are open after the shelter in place? You know, 75% on Facebook say, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely going back. You know, Edward says, not sure, depends on where we are as far as treatment, cure, and vaccine. My father's health is paramount. Absolutely. Dan Cameron says, yes, absolutely. Graham Daly says, yes, uh, I'll just do standing room areas because we know that's safe, right? Who knows? Same for concerts. He says, I actually hate um, being in seats under, under normal conditions. Some say no, and it just it continues on where... There's a, a interesting thread on my Facebook wall about this. And then Tyler on Twitter, I have not checked it in about an hour or so, but looks like people are still steadfast on Twitter saying that they would not go immediately uh, if the shelter in place was let uh, was um, relinquished. Yeah, right now we're looking at about a 60% no and a 40% yes. Mm, okay, so that's so it's getting closer now. <laughs> it's closer yeah. than it was at seven o'clock. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, so some some people are saying, you know what? I am tired of being in the crib, and I I, I totally get that too. But I don't want to go out and make you sick, or vice versa, um, because of this COVID going around. I tell you one thing, because it's affected my family, and we've lost someone in our family for COVID nineteen. Uh, and Stacy King just lost his brother. He talked about that on Twitter. Um, just recently because of COVID-19. Oh, it's real. It's absolutely real. It is not some myth. And uh, it's having conversations about this. It's, it's really tough. No question about that. As we talk about this here on ESPN 1000. Uh, but, you know, sports to me, as much as I love talking to you about sports on a nightly basis, it's important. There's no doubt. It's important because it's supposed to be a getaway for all of us, right? It's an arm of entertainment. All of the sports, an arm of entertainment, but not in a situation where we're losing people because they just need to be outside. They need to be at the games. I'd rather for you and I to be able to come back once the gates are open and everyone is safe versus you uh, losing a loved one or you dying because you just need to be outside at a game. Um, That's what HDTV is for. That's what bars are for when they're open again. Um, Going back to uh, Patrick Risch, Washington University uh, in St. Louis, a sports business analyst. Um, I asked him a question about what's going on with COVID-19 and the financial ramifications for some teams and some leagues during this COVID-19. Are there leagues that just won't survive because of COVID-19? Well, of course, you know, here in St. Louis, we were heartbroken to see the XFL disbanded because the Battle Hawks, uh, caca is the law. You got, you got to remember that phrase, guys. Caca <laughs> is the law. That's what we were saying in St. Louis. But, you know, they were actually the top team in terms of attendance. Well, you know, if the XFL was to shut down, and obviously they had Vince McMahon, who supposedly was backing it with hundreds of millions of dollars, what's going to happen to some of these fledgling leagues 
that don't really have a lot of financial support. I worry about this National Women's Soccer League, for example. I'd love to see it succeed. I know they got a spike last year after the women uh, defended their World Cup championship. However, they're not rolling in dough. So this is hurtful to them. It's hurtful to any league. You know, we have a WashU alum that's an executive with the World Surfing League. You know, again, they have some success, but they're not rolling in dough like the NFL, the NBA, and, and Major League Baseball. And, and the last point, guys, is we've seen how a lot of teams have gone to furloughing and have cut salaries of executives. I think we have seen that the most of the big sports in the National Hockey League. And it's not surprising because comparatively, their media revenue is nothing compared to all these other leagues. So they're much more dependent on ticket revenue, which is really hurting them right now. Patrick Risch from Washington University uh, talking to Freddie Coleman and I uh, on Friday about sports and business. Very interesting conversation. We'll put that up on the podcast for you to listen to in its entirety. Interesting conversation about COVID-19 and sports and money. Coming up, we'll hear from Matt Bowen and get his thoughts about the Bears, what they did in the draft, and how they look for 2020. That's next right here on UTH. Jonathan Hood. Follow us on the gram at IGJ Hood and at ESPN underscore Chicago. ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Don't forget to check in with me tomorrow. You and I will go over the Chicago Bears 2020 schedule whenever they play. At least we got the schedule in front of us. So we'll know the home games and the road games exactly when they're going to be played in order. If we just don't know if the dates are correct, we'll find out. We'll do that tomorrow between 7 and 10 right here on ESPN 1000. Got a chance to talk to Matt Bowen from ESPN, the senior writer, um, the Iowa Hawkeye, and uh, longtime veteran in the NBA. Does a great job breaking down film the and the analytics uh, when it comes to uh, the NFL. And I got a chance to ask him a number of questions, including what's the purpose of having Jimmy Graham on the roster when the Bears drafted Komet? Because I think they're different players. I really do. And, look, I understand um, because of the depth chart uh, in terms of the amount of players they have at the tight end position right now on the Chicago Bears roster. Then you go out and get Jimmy Graham. Cole Komet is a different player. I mean, Jimmy Graham's at the end of his career. Jimmy Graham is not going to impact the pass game. And you and I have discussed before, I don't see the play speed with Jimmy Graham anymore. I just really don't. That's based on me watching him on film. I don't see that burst coming out of his cuts or the long speed down the field. Cole Komet, I think he's your classic pro-style tight end. That's the best way I can describe him, Jonathan. He can put his hand on the ground and block on the edge. That's going to help the Bears' zone run game. You're going to get Komet at the edge. Gives you an extra gap in the run game. That's important for this football team. What he can do as a route runner in Matt Nagy's offense, pretty much the same route tree he ran in Notre Dame. He's going to run seams, stretch the seams. He's going to run deep corner routes. He's going to run the shallow crossers. He's going to run the stick routes underneath that can get you first downs on third and two to six. I think he's a complete player at the tight end position. 6'6", 262 pounds, 4'7", speed. And that's the other thing. He will rumble after the catch a little bit. What I mean by that, you better get your pads down in the secondary if you're going to bring him down. Mm-hmm. He's a big body at the point of attack. I think it's a good, solid pick because they're trying to build your football team. And right now, I think they don't have that key piece. And I think Cole Komet can be that guy who's a complete tight end, blocking the run game, run the route through Matt Nagy wants and produce after the catch.
Uh, when we were previewing the draft together, Matt, you were talking about Jalen Johnson, the corner from Utah, mm-hmm. and it ends up the Bears take him in the second round, 50th overall. You really liked him a lot. Where did you place uh, Johnson amongst some of the other corners that you like in this draft? Well, I, you know, you're exactly right, Jonathan. I really liked him. You know, I came out with, I, I guess, you know, my own top five, so to say, uh, last week. I had Johnson number four, right behind Jeff Gladden, who went – uh, to the Minnesota Vikings in the first round. Because this cornerback class, you really didn't know. After Jeff Okuda and Henderson from Florida, those are the top two guys. But after that, we really didn't know. We saw some different movement. A.J. Terrell went early. Arnett from Ohio State. Then you saw Gladney. Uh, I, I thought Johnson belongs in that group. I thought he was a first-round corner. I really did. Uh, he's got length. He's got press man skills. He's a competitive corner that can find the football, can play both man and zone. He's got those man coverage traits that you want right now in the National Football League. He's got a smooth pedal that can transition on the ball. Not a burner down the field. I mean, he's a 4-5 guy. The 4-5 wins when you play a technique, when you know how to read route concepts. I think he's a very intelligent football player just based on his film and how he sees the field, how he creates angles to the ball, and he's a willing tackler. you got to have that, too. you got to have corners that are going to tackle, especially in the Chicago Bears defense. I thought that was an excellent pick. I, like I said, I, I looked at his film, Jonathan, and saw a first-round player. To get him in the second round, I think it's great value also improves your defense, and we know with Prince of Mukamura not in the roster anymore, that job is up for grabs. Mm-hmm. And if I'm a coach and I just drafted Jalen Johnson, I expect him to win that job. I really do. Now, Johnson, with a young corner, there's going to be ups and downs. You have to understand that. Everyone does. Fans and the Chicago Bears front office knows it. Their coaching staff knows it. But the only way to get better is to play. you got to get them on the field, let them play, let them go through the ups and downs. And you hope by midseason, He's playing like a number two corner opposite Kyle Fuller. You know, Matt, as we talked to Matt Bowen with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app, you know, I, I said this even before the draft. I said because of the holes that uh, Ryan Pace has tried to plug here and throwing money in free agency and trying to plug some of those holes, I said whoever that uh, Matt gets, that, that Ryan gets in this draft, and it have, ends up being Komet and Johnson, uh, my thought is those guys are going to have to start and pay dividends right away uh, because mm-hmm. of that hole at the corner and a uh, hole at tight end. Just because you get ten tight ends in the uh, in the room doesn't mean right. you have one. But but now you have one in Komet. You get another veteran in Jimmy Graham. So I, I expect those guys to be able to start because you need to be able to say here's our draft picks. We're going to put them in a position to succeed. I, I think these two are are vital to Pace and his future. Yeah, I think they're also vital to the season. I really believe that. You need to get better as a football team. You need to compete with Green Bay, Minnesota, and Detroit. And Detroit's going to have a healthy Matthew Stafford. You need to compete with those teams. You need a corner, first of all. You need a corner against Stafford, Kirk Cousins, and Aaron Rodgers. We understand that. Mm-hmm. But you also need to establish a stronger run game. This year. That, that is, you know, if I'm Matt Nagy, that's one of the top priorities. When, whenever we get to training camp and they put the pads on I mean, that has to be a priority, to have a stronger run game. All right, not only to help your, your play action, your RPO concepts, but to have a more well-rounded offense, a more balanced offense. I think it was a major issue last year for this football team. And adding a tight end is a classic Y or on-the-line tight end who also has the ability to flex outside. You saw that. You brought it up. That's what he did against Georgia, too, flexing the formation and run seams. But really, a complete tight end that, in my opinion, should play valuable minutes this year and impact your offense. 
Matt, uh, I want to get your thoughts about the wide receiver room for the Bears because, mm-hmm. you know, based on what the Bears did not do, and again, there's criticism there because people felt in a very deep wide receiver draft, get in there in the first three, four, five rounds and get your someone. And so the Bears got uh, Darnell Mooney, the wide receiver from Tulane. But I'm wondering right. from you whether or not you are satisfied with the Bears receiving room with, with Robinson uh, and Anthony Miller. And then it's a question mark about Javon Wims. Wims is a straight-ahead runner that's more of a special teams right. guy to me, not a guy that can just break down a defense. And I see Ridley, and I, again, both guys from Georgia, I watched Ridley. Ridley uh, had some really nice plays that I really enjoyed with him as with the Bulldogs. He just needs to have time to find out whether he can get it done or not. So I'm wondering how you uh, assess the wide receiver room for the Bears not to look wide receiver in the first four rounds. Well, you know, you start with Allen Robinson. He's, he's a true number one. There's no question about Allen Robinson in terms of his route running, his body control, his ability to set up defensive backs. He's a true number one wide receiver in, in the National Football League. After that, there's still some questions. There's no doubt. Mm-hmm. Anthony Miller has to stay healthy, first of all. He needs to be on the football field. He needs to make that jump. When's that jump coming? Okay, when is that jump going to come where he takes the next step as a wide receiver and develops the entire route tree? becomes more of a playmaker because that's why you draft him. That's why you draft him out of college because he has, you know, explosive play traits to his game. You need to see more of that. And I agree with you on Wims, Jonathan. I mean, he's a, he is a straight-line speed guy. He's your vertical boundary target. Now, does that have value in your offense? Of course it does. You need that player in your offense. With Ridley, again, I agree. Ridley was a good route runner at Georgia. Mm-hmm. Okay, he was a really good route runner at Georgia. And now you're hoping that in his second season, he becomes more of a consistent player in your wide receiver route tree because the traits are there to run routes and we spent the entire draft process talking about guys that can run routes and get open but really have some of those traits you need to see it now as a pro uh and you know and you, and you add the rookie that's speed okay and the bears did need some speed um but again you're talking about a late round rookie who's gonna have to find a role on special teams to stay in the team to make the team and also to impact the offense it just, it just, to me, that choice uh, by getting a receiver in, in round number five, I know, again, you're just trying to figure out the best players available that you can get, Matt, but I'm right. just, I'm looking at this saying, okay, you know, it's it's on Robinson and Miller to, and Miller to stay healthy and then try to find that third receiver. And I just think that in, in this NFC North or just in the NFC in general, you've got to upgrade that. If you're not going to get it done in free agency, you got to get it done the draft early with proven guys. Now, I'm not going to say anything negative about uh, about Mooney from, uh, from Tulane. I'm just saying that you've got to upgrade this for Trubisky, Foles, whoever the quarterback is. That's important in this league. No, it is. It's very important. And if you go back and look at uh, players the Bears had opportunity on, K.J. Hamler out of Penn State was available. K.J. Hamler went to the Denver Broncos. Uh, you know, He's got instant juice now from the slot. He can flat-out roll down the field. He's a deep ball guy, run deep overs, deep crossers, explosive playability. Chase Claypool went to Notre Dame from Notre Dame who went to Pittsburgh at pick number 49 overall. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, more of a raw prospect, uh, a little tightness. Yes, you're going to have to scheme him open in certain situations, but in terms of making contested catches down the field, uh, running the top of the vertical route tree, he can give you that. And then later in the second round, Denzel Mims from Baylor, who I thought was going to be Johnson either late one or early two, slid just a little bit. Uh, but Denzel Mims, uh, I think he's an, an ascending talent uh, once he gets to the National Football League and expands his route tree. You know, coming from that Baylor offense, it's more of a spread concept. So, but when you get to the National Football League, that route tree starts to open up a little bit. 
he, he's a high ceiling player. So those are some of the guys they passed on Jonathan to answer your question because they decided to answer, you know, address the cornerback position, which I really think they needed to. And I'm sure if you'd ask them, they would say they had Cole Clement graded higher. And that's another position of need, too. But, Jonathan, look what this goes back to. Uh, we talked about this on Saturday night. It's, you know, the lack of, uh, of draft picks. That's what we're yeah. really talking about here. Okay, you don't have as many options. You have two second-round picks. You're not back on the clock to the fifth round. You're in a tough situation. But that goes back to how the Bears have managed these drafts the last couple of years under Ryan Pace with trading up for players and you know mortgaging future draft value because of it. You're listening to Under the Hood. Get the ESPN Chicago app for podcasts and the live stream from anywhere, anywhere, anywhere. Download in the app store today. This is ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Matt Bowen covers the NFL for ESPN as a senior writer. He joins me, Jonathan Hood, right here on ESPN 1000 and the brand new ESPN Chicago app. Matt, as always, thanks so much for sticking in there with us. Um, did did the Bears make the right call going with Jalen Johnson over Grant Delpit in the secondary? I think you have to address the, the cornerback position first. I really okay. do. You know, you know, I, I but, mean, you, but, I really you, do. But, but Delpit's the better player, is he not? I mean, he's great. Well, Del, I mean, Delpit has all the traits you want, at, you know, for a modern day safety. Anton Winfield too, who went pick number forty five to Tampa, that mm-hmm. was available too. I had Winfield graded a little higher than Delpit. Because of his tape last year, you know, Winfield uh, had what seven picks in the Big Ten Conference. Uh, great ball skills, a versatile talent, and helping on special teams. Delpit's tape wasn't, uh, you know, the best way to say it, Jonathan. I didn't think that Delpit played with the same sense of urgency that he did in 2018. You go back to the 2018 tape on on Grant Delpit. He looks like a top 20 pick. That's exactly what he looks like. Had an injury in 2019. Didn't play with that sense of urgency. I thought. So he slid a little bit. But in terms of the traits and projecting him for the National Football League, if you get the player from 2018, which we know he can do because he's already put it on tape, yeah, he can do a lot, especially in the Bears' defensive scheme, that split safety looks, roll him down in the box. He can help you in sub packages. I think he's going to be a real good pro. Matt Bowen from ESPN and ESPN.com with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. Uh, Matt, I really liked the Vikings draft. Actually, it might be one of my favorite drafts uh, for 2020. Well, what stands out most about the pickup of Jefferson off uh, the left tackle, uh, uh, Ezra Cleveland? What stands out about most about what Zimmer uh, and Spielman did with the Vikings? Well, you start with their top pick in Justin Jefferson. I didn't think he was going to be there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I thought he was going to Philadelphia at 21. But Philadelphia takes Jalen Rieger, okay, because he fits their offensive scheme as well, explosive play traits. Jefferson, I think, is a very high floor in the National Football League. He can be a volume target for you. Caught 100 passes out of the slot last season, okay, and, and at LSU. And understand this about LSU. They run a pro offense. Now it's a little bit more wide open because they go more empty. It's a college game and wider hash marks. We understand all that. Uh, tighter formations, reduced sets in the National Football League right now, but in terms of the route tree, it's been very similar. Very similar. And what he can do running routes out of the slot, can get down the field, has enough straight line speed to get down the field. Very solid pick. I think you have to look at the quarterbacks they took. You know, Jeff Gladney. Uh, we just talked about Jalen Johnson. I love Jeff Gladney out of DCU. I mean, that guy competes now. He reminds me of Alexander, cornerback from the Green Bay Packers, in terms of his competitive play style. And then they come back later and get Cam Dance out of Mississippi State, who slid a little bit because he didn't run a good time 
uh, as a, at the combine in Indianapolis, but throwing the tape against SEC competition, he will compete. He can make plays in the ball. He's a good in zone corner. Both those guys fit Coach Zimmer's scheme. And then with Cleveland, I mean, that's your future at left tackle. You know, another ascending player in terms of his footwork, his ability to play on the edge, mirror pass rushers off the edge, and I think he's going to fit their scheme as a, as a blocker in the zone run game. Uh, the uh, the Packers are very interesting as well. You know, I can understand how Aaron Rodgers would tell several people that, hey, you know, we haven't had a skill position player in the draft in 15 years, right. and he's and then Rodgers wakes up and sees that Jordan Love is in the quarterback room with him. It's uh, the the Love choice is interesting, but I, does Rodgers have a point in that? Hey, you know, can I get a receiver? Can I get a few difference makers that can help us increase our chances to win the NFC? Well, I'm sure he does because I I was surprised just like everyone else at one that they didn't take a wide receiver early and two that they traded up to get a quarterback. Now I say it's on Jordan Love. Uh, he strengthens your football team first thing because he improves the depth chart behind Aaron Rodgers. And the draft is always about strengthening your football team, especially for a team like the Green Bay Packers and building for the future. Jordan Love is all the natural traits you want at the quarterback position, all of them. And now in the National Football League, he needs to be coached. He needs to be coached extremely hard because he needs to clean up a lot of errors in his games, too, in terms of reading underneath linebackers, improving his accuracy, the decision-making you make as a pro. But in terms of the traits, and that's what the draft is about, he's got plus arm talent. He's got mobility. He can make second reaction plays. He can throw on the move. And he can drive the ball at all three levels of the field. Everything you want in a first-round quarterback. But not getting a wide receiver, I mean, that is the discussion point here. Mm-hmm. Because you go into the draft, that is one of their major needs. Let me ask you this, Jonathan. Look at the draft. A.J. Dillon, out of Boston College. Mm-hmm. Downhill, power runner between the tackles. Okay, old school traits. The draft's another tight end out of Cincinnati. You can play off the ball, too, as an H-back. Maybe even play some fullback. And they take an inside linebacker. And then what do they do next? They take three offensive linemen. My question here is... What is Green Bay trying to build offensively? Because based on their draft picks, based on the coaching tree Matt LaFleur came from, I think they're gradually shifting to an offensive philosophy that is very similar to the San Francisco 49ers. I really believe that. Where you have multiple tight ends who play on the field at the same time. Where you are a downhill power running team or a zone running team with a lead blocker where you really focus on play action to open up throwing windows in the middle of the field. You're a much more balanced offense, even run heavy at times. That's what this draft tells me and how they're starting to build their offense moving forward. It's, a, it's an interesting philosophy. I just uh, you got to make sure that you have that veteran talent, though. Uh, so at least at least one. I mean, there's nothing against Devontae Adams. I'm just saying like they – but it just – to, to me, utilizing the tight end is exactly the blueprint that San Francisco had. The running game, the running game's not dead, folks. I know that, I know that we want to bury it like it's the fullback, but the running the running game still is viable. Uh, and so, it, it's very much. I agree with you. It, it's very it, much. It, it just that's why I just the running the running backs that fell when they fell. I just kind of shook my head. I said, you know, there's a number of these running backs I watched on Saturdays are versatile enough to catch the ball in the in the uh, in the backfield and give you run after the catch. They can do a lot mm-hmm. of different things, and, and it's, it's it's funny how some evaluators still look at it as, well, we don't need this guy to um, to run between the tackles. We we need to get it in the air. Okay, you, you, the running back still matters to me in the NFL, and we and a perfect example of it is what we saw. I don't know the Super Bowl. <laughs> That's a perfect yeah. example, right? 
Well, and also, I mean, the running game is so valuable, in my opinion, uh, you know, December, January. That's what it is. Uh, I agree 100%. You, you need to run a football. And I understand you want to throw it. This is more of a passing league. I get all that. I completely understand. That's how that, – that is – dramatically influence how teams draft defensively now, especially at the safety position. Look for guys with multiple traits, almost multidimensional players who can play in the post, who can cover tight ends, cover in the slot. And they want players like that in terms of their skill set. But in January and December when it gets cold and a team is running football down the hill consistently and controlling the line of scrimmage, and that's really what it's about, John. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, all this stuff we talk about, it's still a line of scrimmage game, right? It's a question. You don't win up front. I don't care if we're talking about Friday nights, Jonathan. You're not winning anything. You're not. And the ability to control the line of scrimmage and to physically take over games in the fourth quarter later in the season will always matter. Lastly, did you uh, did you like what the Lions did? We talked about running backs. DeAndre Swift is a special guy out of out of uh, Georgia. Okuda at the at one of the corners. Did you like what they were able to provide? I did. Uh, one, you know, outside of the New England Patriots. The Detroit Lions played the most man coverage in the National Football League last year. That's what they are. They're going to play single high, safety in the middle field. They're going to play man coverage. Now, one of the reasons they struggled last year is they played all that man coverage and they didn't get pressure on the quarterback. They had Desmond Trufant, who still got man coverage traits, veteran free agent signing out of Atlanta. And they draft Jeffrey Okuda, who, to me, was the clear number one cornerback in this class. The footwork, the hips, the eyes, the short area of speed. Those are the traits you look for in a man coverage corner. He's got all of that. And DeAndre Swift, I'm with you. I thought DeAndre Swift was the top running back in this class. I thought he was underutilized at Georgia, too. I really believe that. I think his talent will take off in a pro offense where he can run outside zone, where he can find daylight as a runner to get downhill with speed. He's got the ability to shake people at the second level. Plus, in the passing game, you can see him on screens. I think he can flex in the backfield more in the National Football League and just run simple under routes, whether going to the flat or running an angle route. And I expect by midseason, he's going to be the number one in Detroit. And that's why you drafted where they did. Matt Bowen with us here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. Our thanks to you for listening. Our thanks to Tyler Key on the other side of the glass. Full show tomorrow. The Bears schedule comes out. We'll talk about it tomorrow right here on UTH.